All right, welcome everyone. Our distinguished guest tonight is Miss Connie Golden. Hello, Miss Connie, how are you? Doing just fine, doing just fine. Good, good, it's good to have you here. We Thank are going, you. yeah, as always, we're gonna jump into a video, but before we jump into the video, there might be some people listening in that uh, don't know who you are, Miss Connie. So can you just give us a few sentences about who you are in this context that we have you tonight? Well, I'm part of the Presbyterian Church of Wyoming in that I play the piano and the organ and accompany the choir and sometimes help find people to lead singing and and uh, in the great room or I'm in the sanctuary, either one. So. I've been at PCW for about three and a half years. Awesome. Great. Well, thanks for taking some time to chat with us tonight. We're going to jump into this video and then we'll have a little conversation about it. Uh, can everyone see that screen all right? All right. Cool. Here we go. We're learning how to read different types of literature in the Bible. And we're going to start by talking about biblical narrative. So narratives in their most basic form have characters in a setting going through a series of events. And how those events are selected and then arranged by an author, that's called the plot. A basic plot line begins with a character in her setting. But then something new or unexpected happens, causing problems that lead up to some ultimate conflict, which is then resolved and the character finds herself changed, living in a new normal. Now, in reading narratives, it's important to understand every scene in the context of its larger plot line. You can make the same story have a totally different message if you ignore where it occurs in the plot. This happens all the time when people read the Bible. Really? Yeah, take for example the story about Gideon. There's this well-known scene where Gideon's trying to discern whether God will help him win a battle and he requests a sign from God. Yeah, Gideon lays a wool fleece on the ground and asks that in the morning the fleece be wet with dew, but the ground totally dry and God does it. Now, if you look at this scene just by itself, what is the conflict? How can Gideon know if he'll succeed? And the resolution? Test God, ask for a sign, and find out. Yeah, and that's how many people actually read this story, and it totally misses the point, because it's ignoring the larger plot line. Really? Yeah, so let's start from the beginning, you'll get the context. The story begins with Gideon and the Israelites living in fear because they're oppressed by an invading people, the Midianites. Got it. Then there's the call to action. God commissions Gideon to defeat the Midianites and save Israel. Yeah, this is shaping up to be a good story. But then Gideon's super hesitant, so he asks God to do this magic trick, a sign, so I can know it's really you talking to me. And God stoops to his level. He gives him a sign by lighting the fire on an altar. So Gideon's already asked for a sign. And that's not all. In the next scene, God tells Gideon to tear down an altar to another god, but Gideon's so afraid, he does it at night. So Gideon's skeptical and also a bit of a coward. Then we come to the moment where Gideon's about to face the Midianites, and he's still uncertain, so he asks for another sign, the fleece. He says, I want to know if you'll save Israel by my hand. And God gives him that sign. And he's still uncertain. So he asks for even one more sign, which is just a variation of the previous sign. Okay, so Gideon's asking for way too many signs. Exactly. In the larger context, it's clear the plot conflict is not how can Gideon discern the mysterious will of God. The real conflict is when will this guy get his act together and start trusting God? Okay, so then what's the resolution? 
Well, you have to keep reading. So Gideon gathers this huge army, 30,000 soldiers to fight the Midianites. And God says, no, way too many men. He whittles the army down to 300. Why would he do that? Well, Gideon's been testing God, so now God returns the favor. He tells Gideon to arm these 300 soldiers with trumpets and torches, and then surround the Midianites at night and make all this noise in the hills, which sounds ridiculous, but Gideon doesn't. And the noise scares the Midianites into this frenzy, they start destroying each other in the dark while Gideon looks on safely from the hills. So this story isn't offering the reader tips for discerning God's will. No, it's about God's commitment to use weak people with deep flaws to do more than they could have imagined. Okay, so short scenes like Gideon and the Fleece are combined with other scenes making up a larger plot line. And tracing the conflict and resolution through the plot helps you see the message the author's trying to get across. Now, Gideon's story has been set alongside many other stories that are also about these flawed, often questionable leaders called judges. And each of these has its own internal plot line. But then altogether, they make up a whole movement of the biblical story, the period of the judges, and that has its own unified plot line. And there are many movements within the story of the Bible. Exactly. And all the smaller stories, hundreds of them, they fit within the context of their own movements. And then these movements together make up the building blocks of the grand plotline of the whole story of the Bible. So no matter where I'm reading in the Bible, I need to pay attention to these different layers of plot so I can read each story in context. Exactly. The Bible is such a sophisticated piece of literature. And so all these smaller plot lines keep overlapping, building up the tension in when you back up, you can see how they've all been woven together into the unified story that leads to Jesus. Okay, and we are back from that video. That was a video from the Bible Project. So if you thought that was um, informative and want to watch more like that, um, you can search the Bible Project online and check it out. Uh, so there was a lot there. Uh, we're not going to make you, mem uh, you don't have to memorize everything that was in there or know all of it. But um, what really stood out to me was this word context. And Miss Connie, I'm curious to know in your own words, what do you think context means? Setting the stage. You're going to know what the action's about and where the story's going. You have to have the background. Mm. It what does it mean if you take something out of context? You've left something out. Uh, if you take something out of context, you're jumping around, you're skipping around in the story. And um, I understand there's certain people that talk like this, Adam. They jump around so much you don't really ever know where they are in their story. I've known some people like that. Yes, I've known a few. <laughs> What do you think is the danger in reading something out of context? Or is there danger in it? Is it okay to read things out of context? Well, I've had a long time to think about this. If I were 12 years old, I might have a different uh, view than I do at, um, say, 52. <laughs> or if I do, say, at 70 uh, or 18. I think that my perspective in reading the Bible, Bible my perspective uh, changed uh, for me as I 
You know, if only God had spoken into the ear of my Sunday school teacher when I was a child, I might know how to better read the Bible today. So all those Sunday school teachers that prepare so hard and so well for young people, for younger children and older children and youth, God bless them because there's really a lot to that. I just wish instead of speaking to Gideon, God had just spoken directly into my Sunday school teacher's ear. Is there something that helps you read the Bible in context now? Is there something you've learned, a a way that you approach the Bible? The Bible that I read, uh, and I read several different Bibles. uh, You know, Adam, I must admit, I start with the Gospels first because that pertains to me and to today. It is the living gospel for my life. Uh, Each one of the gospels has a different story, a different perspective, a different view, even though they all contain a lot of the same story. It's interesting to compare the gospels. That's starting on a small scale. Mm -hmm. There's another section of the Bible that I want to keep in context, and that's a Pentateuch, the first five uh, books of the Bible in the Old Testament. Gosh, I really want to know about the history of how those books came together for the, for the Pentateuch, five books of the Old Testament. The creation, moving into the life of Moses, taking the Israelites out of Egypt, and bringing them to the Canaan land. Uh, there's also, in the New Testament, There's the book of Acts, A-C-T-S. And in that, you have the history of the Hebrew people. Mm. And you have all of that lineage traced for you. What am I telling you? I want somebody to have written down who I respect their opinion, hopefully somebody that knows what to say. I want to know the background and the history and the time that these things took place, these writings took place and what was going on in everybody's lives, you know, the workaday world. I want to know what was going on historically. History is very important to me in reading the Bible. Yeah. Thanks for, for that. You know, I also think about context as it relates to, um, you know, things going on in our world like the the presidential election, politics, I see so many things that are out of context that a politician, you know, goes on this long, you know, gives a long speech, and then the other politician just pulls out one sentence that sounds really bad and promotes that one sentence. And, you know, Ellie and other, you know, young people, I'm sure you see this all the time on social media, just we get bombarded. And it's hard to know what's true and what's not true. And I think learning this idea of context is really, really important because we might see something at face value and think, oh my gosh, that's terrible. But when we step back and see that thing in context, see what was said before, see what was said after, see where it was said, then it may not be as bad as we think it is. And so I think context is is really, really important. I'm trying to think of like an example of that you know, and, I'm, and they're flying, these examples are flying around all, all over the place now because we're in this, you know, presidential campaign. 
of these examples of people t- being taken out of context. It just happens so often. And, you know, in everyday life, it happens to us as well. You might, someone overhears another student say something in the classroom, but they, they misunderstood what the student said, but they go off and tell another student what this other student said, and they misquote them and misrepresent them, and then these rumors start, and then there's this whole thing, and there's fighting and gossiping. You know, it's just context is just super important to understand exactly what someone meant, when they meant it, how they meant it, you know, the place, the time, all of that is just super important. So, so it's important. And, and reading the Bible, you know, is, you know, we can read it for many different reasons. And one of the things that we can get out of it is this idea of context that you were talking about, Connie, that we can, we can understand something in light of something else. And the video talked about this too, uh, that we don't just read one part of the, the Bible and say, oh, the Bible is okay with slavery. Okay, let's just go out and say that slavery is okay. Or read this one thing out of context and say, oh, well, it's okay if I'm a jerk. I can be a jerk now because this person in the Bible was a jerk. You can take all kinds of things out of the Bible and twist it and, and you know, but in context is what we're looking at. So we can learn that from the Bible, that we, we, we learn that we must read the Bible and, and come to the Bible with this idea of context. So. What do you think about all that, Miss Connie? Does that resonate with your soul? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Makes sense to me, Adam. Makes sense. Cool. Um, many times you're talking about present day. The marvelous, marvelous thing about being in a faith tradition where clergy are so cognizant of that, they know they need to be careful and be very, very intentional with what they say. Uh, It's like, you know, Black Lives Matter, I think, and someone else was saying just recently, words matter. And in the Bible, you know, I always want to know how these these books were put together Um, because it seems to me, I'm trying to think of uh, a portion of scripture that gets taken out of context really often. Growing up uh, as a child in an evangelical setting, Adam, is very different than being, uh, say, growing up in the Presbyterian Church of Wyoming or just growing up Presbyterian. You know, today, um, there's people that are celebrating the Reformed Church. Right. And uh, Martin Luther started this in 1517. That's a heck of a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And, but there were all these reformers that came after Martin Luther. And, you know, they, the, the church universal took it very seriously, in fact, to punish you with taking your life. If you didn't say and do the right things according to church law, We've come a long way from that, still keeping things in context, I believe. All those reformers really didn't want to leave their church, the church universal. They didn't feel real good about that. But they thought it was the time and we were ready as human beings to be able to participate more and all that kind of thing. So anyway, I celebrate today all the way from 1517 the church that has been reformed so that we can teach and learn and be 
using our mind and everything that we are to understand the Bible, which is a little difficult. I don't know what you think about the Bible. I had a person ask me a question who's about, who's quite a bit older than I in a Bible study at PCW. And Ellie, this is what she said. She said, I'm confused when I read the Bible. What do you think about that, Connie? What should I do? <laughs> I'm going, oh, I wish you hadn't asked me that. <laughs> but you know, I explained it this way. Ellie, I want you to hear this. I explained to her, I said, you know, there's a great movie and it's called Shakespeare in Love. And the person who is Shakespeare's agent is just a real character. And he's always explaining to people that Shakespeare owes money to. He's always saying, well, it's a great mystery. It's a mystery. So I kind of laughed when I was explaining to Barbara in that Bible study. I said, some things I just have to say, it's a mystery. And maybe I'll find out the answer before I get to the pearly gates. So we'll see. Yeah. Well, and to go along with that, Miss Connie, like the, the, as I was thinking about tonight, the one thing that I want us all to come away with from this discussion is this idea of seeking to understand other people and using the Bible as a way of modeling this. The Bible is a mystery in many ways. It can be very confusing to read. It's not just a, a 10 page pamphlet that you can breeze through. It's like a person, you know, people are complex and some days we're just angry for no apparent reason. We get moody. We get, you know, we just have all these feelings and emotions and we're complex people. And the Bible in many ways is like a person. And so we have to come to the Bible with, you know, some reverence, some patience, knowing that we may not always know what's going on, but just come with that humility and keep showing up just as we would or we should with you know the relationships in our lives, other people that we keep showing up in our parents' lives, our friends' lives, with humility, with a sense of reverence of saying, you know, you're another human being. I may not understand you fully, but I'm going to try. And so we can use that same approach that we take to the Bible. We can use that approach with other people too, and trying to seek to understand them. You know. Do you think it was kind of odd anybody out there? that it was odd that Gideon kept going back to God several times, just kind of wasn't satisfied with what he got and decided he'd take matters into his own hands. And then God had to deal with Gideon. Don't you think, i tell you how many people, including myself, have, have I done that and have I done that recently? Gone to God and really not been pleased or it didn't satisfy me God's answer or trying to meet my need. So anyway, I think that's part of being a human being. Yeah. And God sure does have a lot of patience with her children. Yeah. No, I, I agree 100% for sure. So last question before we wrap this up, it's always the most serious question. Miss Connie, you're not aware of this, but we did, Uh, come to some conclusions that pickles are better than cucumbers. We've also come to the conclusion that cereal is soup. And Ellie, I know Ellie agrees with me. Yep. She's shaking her head. There you go. Uh, We have also uh, come to the conclusion that a hot dog is a sandwich. All right. A hot dog is a sandwich. So we've come to many conclusions. 
I'm not going to ask you to come to any of these conclusions, these hard, you know, decisions, but I am curious to know if you can share a story about uh, one of the most embarrassing moments in your life. Gosh, there's so many, Adam. (laughs) (laughs) So many. Um, Have you ever acted in a play? Have you ever been on stage? Ellie, think about that a moment. Adam, think about that. Have you ever been in a play, Adam? I have. Okay. Here was a play, and you know, the prop, this is in high school. The propped people have to, prop people have to have everything in order, and the doorbells, and the this, and the that, and the lightning strikes, and the ringing of the telephone, and whatever. And we had one character who never ever knew where he was in the play and I remember just I was exasperated and I I became embarrassed about this but anyway the doorbell rings and I'm my character is to answer that doorbell it's not supposed to be the person that's behind that door so I had to make up something at the moment (laughs) and I couldn't come up with anything so I opened the door I don't think the audience saw the character behind the door because I thought you're not supposed to be here. And I shut the door. So I walked away and the doorbell rings again. And I go back this time (laughs) and um, I ask, what are you here for? What do you want? And this person had totally different lines. Maybe this person should have been embarrassed, but I was because I had no idea what to say back to this character who had just totally royally messed up. That was a little embarrassing to me, I must admit. And I just felt bad for the both of us. But I did improvise something that made some sense and told him not to come back. (laughs) (laughs) On stage, just told him not to come back. Don't try this again. So anyway, and that's a 16-year-old talking there. So I remember... uh, I was <laughs> I wasn't that's funny. I wasn't 16, but I think I was in sixth grade, maybe, maybe fifth. And I was in class and I felt really sick, sick to my stomach. And I asked the teacher if I could go to the restroom because I, I thought it was coming. And the teacher said yes. And I was coming down these stairs and I stopped and I just vomit all down the staircase, tires <laughs> there. It was such a mess. I felt so embarrassed. It was terrible. So now that you have this image of vomit, uh, we appreciate you all being here tonight. Um, <laughs> thank you, Miss Connie, for coming and sharing. Uh, remember, to uh, when you approach the Bible, do so with reverence. Do so with some humility. Uh, do so knowing that there's context. It's a, it's a hard book. And then carry that, that same approach to the people in our lives. Approach people with that same humility, reverence, knowing that you know, people, are, people can be very confusing and complicated, and we need to be patient with them and just keep on loving them. So, all right, try to do that this week, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for being here.